Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 359. I should have put out a mini one, shouldn't I? To round the year up on 360. Never mind. <laughs> I've thought of that as I'm recording an intro f- for this. Um, before I get into any of this, thank you all so much for your support this year. It's been another absolutely insane year podcast wise i mean you know how insane it's been non-podcast wise but the fact that you guys have stuck with and not just supporting the patreon or buying the merch at speech just those who are listening and shouting about it word of mouth is still absolutely key in my opinion with podcasts so the fact that you guys have a good sh- shout about it and are always vocal whether that be on social media or just direct one-on-one it means the world um and l- last week's episode with k tempest or double episode with k tempest and polar bear got a lot of shouting about and rightfully so so if you missed that go and give it a listen but what we're here to do is round up the year um a lot of you will know we often end the year on a drunk cast but due to the pandemic due to l- locations and mixing and all that kind of thing and also largely due to the fact that we did three drunk casts already this year you know we we kind of got to the point where we only did one drunk cast a year because we were finding that when we were doing two or three we didn't have that much to say <laughs> we're not that interesting but um obviously during the pandemic we had a drunk cast with chris and stew obviously of hardcore listing but also R- ramesh ranganath and brett goldstein james a caster ed gamble jade adams and rich wilson so if you're missing drunk cast chats they're there and last week's one was was christmas drinks but what we're doing this year is i thought i'd i wanted to do a a roundup of 2020 and i couldn't think of anyone i'd rather sit down and chat with than blind boy uh blind boy is uh came to prominence in the rubber bandits making comedy music essentially or songs with a, a comedic tilt. But he's gone on to write books, to do TV shows, and to do an amazing podcast. So it was hearing him, and it was consuming so much of his outlook and output that made me go, right, he's the perfect guy for this. So we sat down, and we had a wonderful chat about the year. I've split it into two. So part one, you're listening to, to now. Part two will be out next Wednesday. And I think you're going to really enjoy it. Both parts have some of my favourite moments. I I would say that this is my favourite episode of the podcast of of 2020, which is mad that it's come as the last one. But there was numerous moments that I was just in awe of the outlook and other moments where I was excited to go back and forth um, in agreement. So yeah, you're going to love it. Check out Blind Boys podcast if you haven't already. What other podcasts should you, you check out? Obviously, you should check out Pod Bible. I, I, I'm one of the hosts of the Pod Bible podcast and one of the people who writes for Pod Bible magazine, where we recommend podcasts. So this would be, they're all free. Each each issue, there's been six issues this year, all available at podbiblemag.com. This kind of Christmas, New Year's kind of period might be a good time to to read through a few of them and uh, and get some podcasts in your in your back pocket but ones that i've listened to recently that spring to mind that were great were M- M- michaela cole 
on Louis Theroux's Grounded was fantastic. Blind Boy on Adam Buxton's podcast was fantastic. Dolly Parton on Table Manners. Jeez. Jeez, that's a good podcast. But yeah, loads of good po- Oh, Also, I've really enjoyed Poppy Hillstead has entered the chat and seen the sequel. Two kind of concept podcasts that I I recommend. Um, anyway, let's get on with the podcast. Again, thank you all so much for supporting this year. I hope you enjoy this. Um, here's part one of the 2020 Roundup with Blind Boy. Press record on this as a backup. Cool, no hassle. So just to let you know, so this big mic is what's going into the recorder. Great. And then I have a shitty little kind of lavalier for you to just hear me. So the, the quality is what I'm recording. I, I love it. That's fantastic. You're in a hotel. You're in a hotel, yeah? I'm not in a hotel. I'm in an Airbnb. And you're filming some stuff. Yeah, I've been here for three months. Well, I'm joined today by Bl- Blind Boy. And I was thinking I wanted to do an end of year kind of roundup. Yeah. And I honestly couldn't think of anyone I'd rather talk to about this, this bonkers year. Um, Thank you very much. When I was planning it, I was taking a walk. I do these evening creepy walks to try and take photos and just get out of my own head. And I was listening to you on Adam Buxton's podcast. Mm-hmm. It was one of my favorites of his chats. I think he's amazing anyway, but I think he's great. The excitement, and respect that you had for him, but then also the knowledge that you could add and bring was, uh, yeah, a joy as ever. Thank you. So um, before we get into it, I, like, I've made n- n- notes of specific things that have happened, and we don't have to talk about everything, but I can go through and we can see if anything jumps out and we've got any st- strong thoughts. The crazy thing is, for me, is, is like, even when you said a roundup of the year, it filled me with this anxiety because... Yeah. I, I, like, Jesus Christ, I, I don't, I can't believe a year has passed. It's mad, isn't it? It's been the fastest and slowest year all at once. It's bizarre. <sighs> the pressure of having an opinion on the last year is, is really just strange. Yeah. You know what I mean? I feel you completely. I, yeah. I was making the list and just going, what is this stuff? And so much of it, like the timeline, is mm-hmm. nothing like it was in my head. Because as you say, mm-hmm. From March till about September, f- for me, I think, it, f- it felt like about a month. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was this mad, just this period of constant things were happening. But before we get into that anyway, I wanted to talk about the last time I saw you, we were two of three people about to go in and do a podcast with Spike Lee. Oh, shit. And your podcast with yeah. Spike Lee is one of my favourite bits of podcasting ever. I've raved about it a load. Ah, thank you. How was that, man? Because we were chatting beforehand. I was nervous because I had a question I wanted to ask and I wasn't sure if I'd ask it. I did ask it and it's the one time I've ever got a no comment off someone. Wow. Like Spike literally said, I don't really want to talk about that. There isn't anything I want to say at this stage. And I was flustered. Do you want to say what that was? Do you want to say what that was? I left it in there, man. Was was it about Boots, Riley? It was about Boots, yeah. yeah. I know it, yeah. So, um, because... Boots is also a mate of mine, and Boots, yeah. a day or two before, had done this big article about yeah. um, Black Klansman and all the things mm-hmm. he felt were dishonest about it. 
Um, mm -hmm. So I worded it really carefully. I kind of said, look, you, you can tell when I'm nervous to ask a question because the question lasts about 10 minutes <laughs> because I'll really run around in circles. And I kind of said, Boots Riley said this, and I understand that because he grew up in a family that was involved in the activist group that was yeah. represented in Black Klansman. But then yeah. equally, I can see that from outside of that emotional attachment to it, I can see how I've always gone on about how dramas aren't documentaries. Mm -hmm. You can't cover absolutely everything and you shouldn't have to. I love Straight Outta Compton. It didn't talk about Dr. Dre's domestic violent stuff. Arguably, it should have, but equally, mm -hmm. it gave like four minutes to Dr. Dre's brother dying. So, yeah. so that's a huge part in his life as well, but it wasn't part of the overall story. It was a tiny bit of the overall story. So I I'm like that with that The Crown you... at the moment, man. I'm watching yeah. The Crown at the moment, and I, I'm loving it, yeah. but then I have the difficulty of being an Irish person watching The Crown and being in Ireland. Like, we can't even say the Queen. We said the English Queen. Yeah. Uh, so, like, watching The Crown as an Irish person is strange yeah. because the royal family to an Irish person, they're just in, inbred celebrities. They're just like Love Island contestants, you know? Yeah, yeah. So watching The Crown, but then like loving the characters, like loving Princess Margaret, yeah. loving Matt Smith's portrayal of uh, your man, her husband. Yeah. And like, I have to park it then and I have to go, this isn't real. This isn't real. This is yeah. drama. And some of this isn't true and some of it is true. And the writer and director has one responsibility and that responsibility is storytelling. And if the story that he has is more interesting than reality, then that's his duty as an entertainer. Exactly. So that was kind of what I tried to put to Spike. Because again, I didn't want to throw Boots under the bus because I completely understood his side of things as well. And I spoke to Boots about it on like when I had him on the podcast a few months later. But yeah, it was the first time I got a no comment. So I think that kind of influenced how I remembered the podcast going. It was a good podcast. It was only one yeah. brief moment that it was uncomfortable. But then I heard yours and it was like you became best friends in the first five minutes. <laughs> we, and, we had and, good crack, yeah. And you literally go off air exchanging email addresses and shit. Yeah, so it was yeah, literally it was, it was that good a podcast. So And it was lovely, man, it was lovely seeing you because the the thing was so I had only been podcasting like two months. Mm. When all of a sudden I just, someone says, do you want to interview Spike Lee? So I said, fuck it. Yeah, why not? Yeah. And I had seen you. So you and I recorded a podcast for your podcast in, yeah. I'd, it must have been 2015. Yeah, around if not 2014. And when I met you to record it and I was staying in an apartment in London and yeah. you came to me and you had all your equipment in a little box and you had your two mics. Yeah. When I sat down and did that with you, that was the little gateway moment for me to go, oh, fuck, this looks possible. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like a yeah, podcast yeah, yeah. was a scary word. I was like, what is it? How do I do it? And when I met you and I was able to see the physicality of, you just carry this little box around and it has a recorder and it's got two mics and it's got two mic stands. This is doable. So yeah. like you're the reason I got into podcasting because you set me up with Amazing. Acast as well. So yeah, it yeah, was yeah, yeah. when I got to, I was nervous, obviously, going, holy fuck, I'm in London interviewing Spike Lee. But then when I met you in the foyer, it just had that little bit of familiarity that then calmed me down. Do you know? Perfect. It was like, yeah. I, I, it was like, oh, I know, Pip, that's fine. Okay, cool. I can chill out now. Because it, it is a bit, in, I had a little bag of scones with me that my ma made me. Yes. Well, she made them first. Yes. She made them for Spike Lee. She thought she was making them for Bruce Lee. <laughs> 
I said to my ma, I'm like, ma, I'm going to fucking London to interview Spike Lee. And she's like, who's he? And I'm like, he's one of my favourite filmmakers. And like, she doesn't know who the fuck Spike Lee is. But she knows I also used to like Bruce Lee. So before I'm leaving, she just gives me this bag of raisin scones going, I made these for Bruce Lee. And I didn't have the heart to tell her, but then I gave them to Spike and he loved them. So the, the first half of the interview was him eating Bruce Lee's scones. <laughs> it's beautiful, but it was one of those podcasts. I think I enjoyed it as a podcaster as well, because it was one of those podcasts that it stumbled upon stuff that mm. you had a good knowledge of already. And that's always exciting. I remember when I had Saul, Saul Williams on, I was really nervous because he's a clever dude. And mm-hmm. there were... I came out of it going, man, I, I lucked out on that episode because a couple of the areas it went to was things I happened to have been reading about like a week before and hadn't planned it would oh, go lovely. there. So he mentioned yeah. something and I could go, well, this, 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 this. Yeah. And that kind of happened on, on the Spike Lee one. You got to give him a bit of a history lesson of of black revolutionaries in Ireland, mm-hmm. essentially, mm-hmm. and people who'd mm-hmm. come over and speeches the that Frederick given. Douglass. Frederick, yeah. he didn't know that Frederick Douglass had come to speak in Ireland in the 1840s and he loved yeah. the idea of that, you know. Yeah. Um, for me, a good, like, I always feel that podcasting is a different space to mainstream radio and we have this freedom in podcasting to essentially do what we like and it can be as long as we want it. And I always think when you're doing a podcast, like an interview, it should feel like almost like a play. It should be a conversation between two people that could occur in a kitchen or a pub yeah. without mics. And we as listeners are privy to listen into it. And this format that like they use on TV and radio where they're limited by the amount of time are yeah. Jesus, man. I was, t- I was interviewing someone once for a podcast and they were telling me about how they started off in radio and how they would literally have to, it would get recorded on tape. And if they made an edit, they had to splice. So their entire wow. line of questioning, they couldn't do a tangent. Yeah. The idea that you would go off topic and speak about something that has nothing to do with, that was like, why the fuck would I do that? I'm creating an hour of work for myself and I might go over budget on tape. And I think this created a culture within radio and with TV where you just stick to the point. Yeah. And what podcasting has shown us is that we don't want people sticking to the point. Like I, I interviewed Hosier. I had Hosier on last week. Yeah. Like I, I opened up by talking about a, a fungus I got on my hands because I was doing press-ups on a riverbed. You know what I mean? <laughs> because it's yeah. podcasting. I'm yeah. chatting to Hosier. Maybe he wants to find out about my fucking hand fungus. Mate, it's better than going straight in to fucking tell me about your songs, you know? When I started off doing this, I would get people every week annoyed. Again, I'd get loads of lovely messages, but I'd get people annoyed that I interrupted the guest or yeah. something like that. And I'd kind of explain, I was like, think back to your conversations. Yeah. You, you go back and forth. You go, oh shit, I, I remember something about that. And you go in and out. And that's that's a conversation. Again, the thing that annoys me the most, it's different on podcasts that have a format. Because mm-hmm. I was listening to Ch- Ch- Chili Gonzalez and Off the Beaten Track recently. Mm-hmm. And Off the Beaten Track, it's all like eight set questions about songs okay. and different points in your life. And there were points where I was screwing because Chili gave an amazing answer and I was like, get more. And Stu went straight on to the next question. I went, so yeah. the song that influences, but it's a format. So I, it works in that situation because it meant that Chili, who's someone who can talk for hours, could yeah. give these kind of succinct sound bites that mm-hmm. then leave you to go off and explore more. But okay, yeah. podcasts w- without a format, 
I think aren't about that. I think it kills me when someone asks their question, gets an am- amazing answer, and then they just ask the next one. And don't Fuck go back that. into that answer and go, oh, wow, so what was exactly. that? And this is this. This is, you know, you should be going off on tangents. and Exactly. Yeah, get through everything. And the fun of it too, it's it, when I say I liken it a little bit to a play, it's like fucking like a Jim Jarmusch film or something. It's mm-hmm. it's it's conversation. It, it, where, where the podcast, I want to hear someone like Spike Lee talk about my mother's scones. I also yeah. want to hear him speak <laughs> about his area of expertise. But yeah. it's nice to hear someone taken out of context and to get the humanity of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. when I'm doing an interview with someone, my my role is. I'm having a fucking chat and I don't give a shit about the microphone here. I don't care. Completely. I'm going to have a chat about whatever and I'm going to take it wherever this human conversation needs to take it. Yeah. And if I get stuck, I'll take it back to the sheet and ask a relevant question. But other than that, man, let's let's have a chat about fucking Vietnam in the 1860s if that's what we want to talk about. Yeah. I love it. I, I love, I, I truly believe that there shouldn't be any set way that podcasts have to go or are meant to go. I, I, as you were saying that, it made me think again, because you were saying about, I might want to talk about his work or other things. I remember when I had Michael Fassbender on, mm-hmm. and I had 45 minutes with Michael Fassbender. That's probably never going to happen to me again. Yeah. And I, it's one of my favourite episodes I've done, because we covered so much in that time, and he got excited by my excitement of his body of work. And I had one person message me going, why didn't you ask him about, like, what he gets up to of an evening and where he he drinks and what his hobbies are. And I was like, because like if we had two hours, I probably would. But if I've only got 45 minutes ever with an actor who's given some of my best performances or been in some of my favourite films, I'm going to talk about those things in that moment. Yeah, that's different. I don't really care where he drinks or what he's up to. It's like, all right, well, let's get into this. And yeah. So it's again, it can work anyway. It depends as long as you're... J- j- genuine on the the reason for, for your questioning i have turned down podcast opportunities if the time is like 45 minutes because i'm like i don't think i can do my thing the only yeah. time i did that is with killian murphy because me and killian were doing um it was about the abortion referendum in ireland and we were doing something specifically to try and get men in particular to vote and yeah. i just had 30 minutes with killian so i was like fuck it I, I, absolutely because we're doing something different but in general if an offer comes in and it's like, you just have 45 minutes, I kind of go, I can't do my thing within that space. So maybe I'm better off leaving it go. I, do, I wouldn't trust my confidence as yeah. a traditional interviewer, you know? It's interesting because Fassbender and I think Eddie Izzard, the same week, were the first two I accepted as 45 minutes. Prior to that, if it was under an hour, I wouldn't accept it. And those two, I was like, all right all right, I think I can make something work. But since then, I've had numerous 30-minute ones that I've, mm-hmm. I've had to say no to because you can't keep coming down. You can't. It's not and, that. And it's, it's, a, a few of the 45-minute ones have been amazing because because they do make you be a bit more tighter. And it's made me realise that actually, if I'm if I'm on point, this can be a more succinct... Yeah. Like, we can get everything that we, w- we would have got in an hour, mm-hmm. but you can listen to it in 45 minutes, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So what's the crack with, uh, do you want to talk about the year? Will we talk about fucking 2020, man? Yes. So it's it's funny because what I've got down as one of the first things in j- 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 January, I noted as wanting to talk to you about the crown as well. Because one of the first, again, it seems like s- s- this was 
once what the news was. In January, Harry and Meghan decided that, that they wanted to step away from r- royal life and there was British and a bit American, really, uproar yeah. at, their, at their choice. And, yeah, I saw you tw- tw- tweet about The Crown because I've had similar. I've not watched it because I don't rate the royals. I'm not into it. Yeah, it's not, it is a fantastic show. I'm not even particularly anti them anymore, but, yeah. That's exactly as this series had come out. It tr- really and truly, it really and truly. I started is. to hear so much, and then you summed it up in a tweet, going, "Look, is it worth it? Because I want to look now because I'm hearing so much." But what do you think on all that? Again, it, it blows my mind that Harry and Meghan. The thing that annoyed me with the Harry and Meghan thing was people saying, "Well, she signed up to it," as if getting married to someone comes with a load of public responsibilities. It's it's ridiculous to think that no. She fell in love with someone. Exactly. And again, we can talk for hours about the ludicrousness at points Mm -hmm. of marriage because it is this strange contract signing. Um, I've talked before about how I want my partner to be with me in 30 years because we want to be together still, not because, well, we promised, we signed a contract, we did agree to it. So it's a weird one, but then I also see the positives of the the act of marriage and the, the celebration. But anyway, all, all that aside, it's crazy to think that she should have thought of this is what she signed up for. <laughs> like, so again, like as an outsider, so when I look at America, I, I can I can kind of understand America, right? But the one thing I cannot relate to with Americans is guns, right? Yeah. I can understand how shooting a gun would be fun, I can't understand how it's like guns equals freedom and if you take guns away, there's no freedom. So that's something I cannot relate to with the American psyche. Uh, did you ever hear my, my podcast with Killer Mike? No. Did he have a good argument? He had a good argument. Or, or it, it at least opened, it gave me some understanding because it made me realise, because I'm exactly the same, I don't understand guns yeah. or the need for guns, but he kind of said, I'm a black male in America. That's Ice-T's argument as well. And the police have guns. And it's yeah. like, I don't feel safe without a gun. And I have good reason to not feel safe mm-hmm. without a gun. His argument was, in the UK, your police don't have guns. So you can feel, as, or a, a black male in the UK can probably feel s- safe without a gun. Not safe, but, uh, you know, n- not feel mm-hmm. the need to, to have a gun for his safety. And that was kind of like, right, I can't argue with that. I can say I'm anti-gun, but I also have to have an understanding for those who feel they need one. In, in in that in those scenarios, Ice T also made a very similar argument along the exact same lines. Yeah, and when I heard Ice T say that, I was like, ah, oh, now I kind of get it. Mm. But still, I can understand the words of it. But I don't have I don't have a frame of reference. I'm yeah, in Ireland. I'm, I'm safe. Again, we we don't our police don't have guns. So and and with with British society or with English in particular, it's the royal family is the thing I can't understand. I yeah. really really can't. Especially in Ireland, like we're we're the the twenty six counties of Ireland, the southern part of Ireland is celebrating a hundred years of independence, like right now. So we fought long and hard to not have the crown in our country. So when I look at Meghan and Harry, I just see celebrities. That's all they are to Irish people. These are celebrities, and the pride and the structure of royalty and the structure of monarchy. I can see what it is but I can't relate to it. And I couldn't understand the outrage and heart. I could see a bit of uh, racism. I could definitely see some racism towards towards Megan. Yeah. Um, also, do you know what? To be perfectly honest, man, 
you know, when, when people were saying, isn't it terrible that they're turning their back on royalty? I was thinking, isn't it fucking terrible that Meghan Markle, who's doing very well for herself as an actor, has to walk away from that because of Everything her role else. as a royal? That's yeah. what I was thinking. It's like, holy shit, that's a lot of work that Meghan has done to get to where she is at this point. And are you telling me now because she's got a, a husband and he's part of this fucking royal family that she now has to tone down or not be involved in, in certain acting jobs and she's worked her yeah. whole life for this? So the cynic in me also, I, I, I felt that like they'll probably have a better life if they're not royal. Yeah, I, they already signed something with Netflix recently. I think, as far as I know, did you hear about that? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, from a business perspective, I think they'll have a, a freer life with better opportunities if they're not tied down with this this royal stuff. That was my that was my thinking on it. As regards the anger, I don't understand it. It's interesting what you say there, because again, I think the English in particular have such a warped view of the dream of being a princess. Because mm-hmm. again, you're right. She's worked hard to get to where she is in her chosen profession. Yeah, yeah. And think she should be happy to go, oh, well, all that work is pointless because all I needed to do was become a princess. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Was was to find my prince and he'll save me and take me away. I didn't need saving or taking away. I'd worked really hard to give myself this amazing life. And she's probably going, ah, fuck. I mean, Harry's just a dude that I love and want to marry. But like, what, I have to give up my job? Like, you're you're an actor. You know how hard it is. You know, that's to get to where Megan got. That's fucking difficult. Yeah. So I'd say they had a big, long chat about we're young. What do we want to do with our lives? Do we really? I mean, one thing as well, watching The Crown has showed me the life of a senior royal is fucking boring. Yeah, Jesus Christ! It's it's a lot of um, like they're on tour all the time, always yeah. on tour up and down the country, opening various things. And and the Crown TV series does do a good job at, at portraying how mundane that is. Yeah, and I'd say they both went fuck that. And as well, personally, I don't think he's Charles's son. I think he's that major's son. Right. That's my opinion of it. They look the same. I reckon that's what it is. I reckon. He looks at, you know, his mother wasn't particularly loved by the royal family. I wonder if he himself even feels a part of it. Yeah. And he's just like, fuck this. Weird, weird in-laws. I'm getting the fuck out. It's crazy, isn't it? Because part of their job yeah. is, again, it's it's that celebrity thing. And, and we would yeah. have experienced it at far lower levels in that. Mm-hmm. You'll have people who tweet you or Instagram you saying... Mm-hmm. I met you on this date at this show. Do you remember? And you're not arrogant or rude to not remember because you met a load of people on that show, but they exactly that was the one time that they met you. And Mm -hmm. that's the thing with the Royals. Their job is to go around and meet people, which means Mm -hmm. probably very little to them, but to each of these people in a council or part of a tribe or part of a a collective of, of campaigners, that one time they met the Queen or a royal means everything. So what a bizarre job that at least with us, we did get to meet these people. It's amazing. But they, but we were there to, to do something, either to perform a gig, to, to do a reading, to do all these other things, whereas the, their job is only the meeting part. The meeting part yeah. is kind of tagged on to what we do that's our, mm-hmm. what we see as our skill or what we're here to perform. 
their part is only the meeting part. That's kind of, there's no beginning bit. Also, one thing I found out about the writer of The Crown is, now you have to remember, I, I, I haven't, I spent my entire life not really thinking about the royal family. Yeah. They were something that, you know, as an Irish person, it, all I know is like my grandfather fought so that the, the Queen Elizabeth's face isn't on the money. That's all I know. So we'd never paid that much attention to him. The Crown the past year watching it in lockdown is the first time I paid attention to it. And the writer of it, I believe, started off as anti-monarchy, but then became pro-monarchy by season four. But some of the earlier episodes, the critique of what monarchy is, is really, really, it's quite a good critique. It's like, essentially, they're aware that their roles are kind of meaningless. It's like in in, in the 20th century, it's like, why are you queen and why are you prince and all you gotta say is well a thousand years ago there was a dude called William the Conqueror and I can somehow trace myself to him and what did he do he just stole it all the shit and then give it to my grandfather and give it to my grandfather and it's really really tenuous because when you apply cold hard logic to why is there a monarchy the answers are pretty thin it's it's the the answers are straight up entitlement but the way they have to create it's very similar to, to religion you have to create this huge pageantry and all these different rules and medals to confuse people into thinking that it's far, far more important than it is in the same way that the church does, you yeah. know, the, the rituals in that respect, you know, and that critique of it I found really interesting. This is the first year really that I've thought about the royal, the royal structure in that way. And I don't want to say empathy because I'm not empathising with the royal family. I'm empathising with the actors doing an incredible job of portraying these characters. You know, Matt Smith in particular in season one was just amazing. He was so good, you know. Did you see The Good Lord Bird at all? No, what's that? It came out this year and I was worried about it at first. It's it's about John Brown. The... uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the white guy that, that felt the only way to get rid of slavery was to kill... To kill people, it had to be a violent yes. uprising. He was like he was like the eighteen hundreds in America, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was worried because I was like, right, is this going to be some kind of white savior type n- yes. nonsense? Um, but it's not. It's the lead is Ethan Hawke. I think Ethan Hawke might mm-hmm. have even written it, but it's b- based on this amazing book about John Brown, and it's done really well. Did you? It, did, were you wearing a John Brown T-shirt when you met Scott Spike Lee? Yeah. Yeah, I was. I was. <laughs> I knew I fucking remember. He that. mentioned yeah, it in yeah, your yeah, conversation, yeah. didn't he? He mentioned it yeah, in your podcast. Yeah. I'm sure he, he did. did. But yeah, yeah, that's I, why I remember. I was, I was wearing that because several years before, again, Killer Mike had put me onto John Brown because I was talking to Mike about my yeah. discomfort at times in being vocal about b- black issues because I want to support, but knowing mm-hmm. that I'm a white man in England, like more mm-hmm. than just a white man, I'm a white man in England, so I'm really not, mm-hmm. again, under that threat of police, armed police and that kind of thing. And he told me about John Brown and I went out mm-hmm. and read up on him and was was bl- blown away to, to, to hear of this guy who threw everything away to fight to get rid of slavery. But again, I was worried that this might come across as white saviorism as a, fi- mm-hmm. as a TV show because I'd been thinking for ages, I wanted to work with some people and write a script about the abolition of slavery. Because it feels mm-hmm. like an amazing story that if you did it in a a Quentin Tarantino type way rather than a, a 12 Years a Slave way, because mm-hmm. there's so many amazing characters. And they do that in this. In this, 
Mm-hmm. John Brown in many ways. Is it a film or is it is it a, a, a TV series? A series. What you call it? The Good Lord Bird. I got to take a note of that man because I'm looking for some stuff to watch. In in in, like in this, John Brown is exposed to be kind of a comical c- c- character in places that people like Frederick Douglass and numerous mm-hmm. others meet with and go, all right, well maybe the ambition that only a white man could have at that point. Yes. Kind of galvanized and helped a lot of the, the, the black revolutionaries who thought we need change, but it's not doable at the moment. There's too many things against us. Whereas him being there going, No, we can do this because again Because he doesn't have a boot on, on his neck. Yeah. So he exactly. has a level of um opportunities for freedom and freedoms that he takes for granted. He's unaware of the consequences of asking for these because he's had them as a given. Completely. So so he's again, and he's not painted as a hero at all. He's painted as this as said, almost comical character, but an important one. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's 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 really good. But it came to mind because of you mentioned Frederick Douglass. He's I'm sure he's played by um a David Diggs in it, who's in Blind Spotting and loads of good shit. Spike Lee right now is working on a Frederick Douglass miniseries, which I'm really looking forward to. Amazing. There's so many good things on the way. But anyway, so, see, I, 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 that's worth a watch. Other things I've noted in January was. Like, I can't remember January. Like, yeah. like, oh, no, I was in Australia. I was in Australia and it was just before shit kicked off. And I had cancelled, I, I, I had a, a podcast in Thailand right. and I cancelled this. I had heard about, about coronavirus just before I went to Thailand. And it was just this strange cough that yeah. some people in China were having. And before I was going to Thailand, to Bangkok airport, it was the big week. It was the week before the Chinese New Year. Right. And they were like, there's this new cough in China and people don't know what it is. However, next week is Chinese New Year and they're worried about the amount of travel that people from China will do internationally because of it, that it might spread it. And that was the weekend I was flying to Bangkok and they had begun scanning people uh, for temperatures. And just before I was about to go to Bangkok, I felt a little bit weird. I felt a little bit fluish. And I felt, had I travelled to Bangkok that weekend, they would have uh, found out that I had a fever and I would have actually been quarantined in Bangkok. Because this was was before we knew what coronavirus was. So I had to cancel my gig in Thailand and leave it off a week and go straight to Australia. So that's all I remember about. And I remember wearing a mask in the airport for the first time in my life when we didn't know what this thing was. It was the first whisperings. Um, I joked when I had Corey Taylor on the podcast that... Corey Taylor from Slipknot? Yeah, because <laughs> I had him Brilliant. on and it was great. And I kind of joked with him about the fact that they've worn masks for years. Yeah. It's never been a problem. And I was going to make a similar point with you, but then it occurred to me that your mask is kind of the, the, the opposite of the masks that are needed because you've got nose holes and a mouth hole yeah that's the <laughs> that's, shitty thing man so so if i'm the if exact I'm, opposite of a of a normal of a covid type mask any appearing in public that i've done during coronavirus i've had to wear a mask over my mask so i'm double masking <laughs> I love yeah it. yeah ridiculous right well as I said in in january i mean I was, I was gonna say not much happened but the impeachment of trump was first put forward by the senate <laughs> Yeah, we'll get on to that. That comes up again. Did fucking did, did he start some shit with Iran as well? Didn't he nearly start a world war with Iran? He started some shit, a lot of shit with Iran. 
and then made some agreements elsewhere. This was this year. Brexit became official. Yeah. That was only in January. That was only in January. Mind-blowing. And I said, the first rumblings of Corona. We'll go on to February. I've only got two things in there. Trump and, and, and Boris both say that Corona is under control. Yeah. It's not a problem. They've got it covered. But again, I'm kind of... I'm pushing back the Corona stuff a bit because after February, that's all we're going to have to talk about. But um, a big thing that I noted in February was Parasite winning the Oscar and being the first foreign language film to win Mm -hmm. Best Picture and Best Director and Best Screenplay. Have you you caught Parasite? Are you a fan of... I watched it on the plane on on that Australian tour in, in late January. And it's one of those things where I can't, you know, when you see something on a plane, especially something like Emirates and you kind of go, fuck it. Should I go back and watch that properly? Because I don't know what they edited out. Like a a friend of mine, a buddy of mine, man, a buddy of mine went to India like 15 years ago and he saw Brokeback Mountain on on the plane. Right. But they edited out anything that had to do with two men having a relationship. So he just watched Brokeback Mountain and it was just... He's like, man, it was shit. It's it's just a film about two lads, two cowboys. That's it. And he didn't know. He was just rubbing pals. his hands together going, oh, minutes. brilliant. Brokeback Mountain. I've heard this is amazing. Can't wait to watch this. And he just watches this film about two lads. And that's it. <laughs> and and hearing that story always was like, it put me off. I was like, OK, if I see something on a plane, I must also go back and watch it because I don't yeah. know what they cut out. So yeah. I, sh- I loved seeing Parasite on the plane. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. But I, and I also saw Rocketman, the Elton John thing, and I kind of need to go back and watch them both, not on a flight to Dubai. I thought Rocketman was fantastic as, as well. I had Dexter Fletcher on to talk about that, the director, so before it came out. And because we really, really hit it off, as soon as we finished, he said, look, Come for here, Pip. And he took me in the editing suite and showed me a few bits that they were oh that my big God. scene where he falls in in the pool, yeah. and then it all just goes crazy. So there, up until I think the baseball bat swing, they were, sh- were showing me like the first edits of it and the first effects. I was like, man, this film looks amazing. I need to watch that back, man, because yeah. I loved it on the plane. And I tell you what, I loved the utter scepticism I had because I hate musicals. I, I don't enjoy musicals right. and it's effectively a musical. Yeah. And I loved 100%. it. It was brilliant. It was so good. Have you seen Sing? No. It's, it's, it, it's a weird one to recommend. It's essentially a kid's film. It's a, it's a Pixar. Is it Pixar? Okay, I'm going to take no, that it's the, down it's, Sing. It's, it's, it's the ones who did the uh, Despicable Me, the Minions, all that lot. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Illumination, um, mm-hmm. and it's it's a film about effectively kind of an X Factor style song contest. So again, that sounds just why would I watch an animation? It's animals, animals in a song contest. But what was what blew me away about it is you'll probably be similar to me. I watch X Factor and I get annoyed at how they're playing me. How contrived it yeah, is. They yeah, know yeah. that if they do this yes. at this point, this at this point. Yeah. And you feel like someone's calling you stupid. Yeah. Whereas an animation has to be contrived. It's literally drawn out and animated. Okay. So, so they use all yeah. of the emotional tricks that these X Factor reality shows use. 
mm-hmm. but you can enjoy it and not feel like an idiot. You can just get drawn up that when that kind of song comes on as they're telling that story, mm-hmm. it makes you w- w- well up, even if you don't want to. And yeah, that's what I loved about Sing. And it's actually the role that got Taron Egerton in the running for Rocket Man because he's in oh. it as, a, as, a, as an ape and he sings a couple of Lovely. songs. I think he might okay. sing an Elton John song, but yeah. A weird recommendation because it is a kid's film, but I thoroughly enjoyed every moment of it. So what was it with February? I mean, I don't remember... I don't remember any of these months, man. I, no. I, I I was coming back from Australia then and then shit was getting real. But, well, I mean, let's jump into March. And again, I'm going to push back the corona talk because it's coming. But Harvey Weinstein got sentenced to 23 years in prison um, at that point, which is fucking fantastic, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, too many people have got away with it. And the note I made on this was I wanted to get your opinion on Jeffrey Epstein's death. And I know they're not technically the same, but, it, you know, there's a lot of shadiness. Because the Jeffrey Epstein thing and the Jeffrey Epstein was killed and all this kind of thing, it cracks me up because I love all the conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. To give you a starting point, my belief is so- somewhere in the middle of the two, the people who feel he was killed and the people who feel he killed himself, I feel he was g- given the space to kill himself. If you know what I mean. like That's a much more realistic... Turn the cameras off. Because again, in his situation, he's had this amazing life. He's been caught. He's going to go to prison for a long, long time. Let's give him some privacy to kill himself rather than agents snuck in and killed him and so on and so forth. That's kind of like that whole, uh, like the conspiracies around 9-11 where it's like, okay, was it an inside job or... Like the farthest I will go with a 9-11 conspiracy is I would think, I reckon they probably knew something was going to happen and maybe they didn't do everything they could have to stop it because they knew what they could have then done in the Middle East if something like that did happen. Yeah. Like the the powers that be in America definitely took advantage of 9-11 as an excuse for huge expansion 100%. in the Middle East. Yeah. So it, it's like that. It's... I think with the Epstein thing there, the people involved are too powerful to maybe get their hands as dirty as to order a killing. Yeah. But to create enough of a space and enough winking and nudging for like, if you give him that space, that's what he's going to do. This is a man. He was a a complete sociopath, someone who is not going to be suited for prison, someone who knows what's going to be ahead of him if he was in prison. And if given the space, would do that. And then a lot of people then get to go off the hook. So I reckon that that kind of, that middle ground, that nuanced approach that you're looking at is much yeah. more um, appropriate, you know. This, yeah. this is someone who has lavished in money his, his entire life. And not only lavished in money, like an, an awful person, an absolutely terrible person who... Enjoy, just enjoyed power and enjoyed suffering and enjoyed all these things. And it's it's like as soon as he gets into prison, he's going to become the object of that suffering. It'll yeah. all be turned on him. Do you know what I mean? Completely. So completely. I think that's a nuanced... I haven't, I haven't heard that yet. People are either... I think that's a real a nuanced way to look at it. Again, people benefited. Again, I think it makes just the most sense because it, it could easily have gone round that the people in power that he knows had turned round and said, yeah, we're not getting you off of this one. Like, we can't save yeah. you now. It's done. Just so you yeah. know, you're on your own now. But I don't think anyone was doing him a favour 
I no. don't think, I, I think it was more a lot of powerful people could have gone down if he was lent on. So yeah. they kind of said, give him the space. <laughs> and then if he does it, there's a shit ton of people then who get to chill out now. Yeah. You know, who get to not have a Prince fucking what's his face in particular. Andrew, is it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. someone like that, that, that shit was fucking dodgy. That was, I mean, that was absolutely insane. I've, I've not got that noted because I don't know what month it was, but all his stuff about being in Pizza Express and not... Or his sweaty, the sweaty and interview. Not, and not being able to sweat. He can't sweat. Yeah. It's, that can't be true because I've got a condition where... Or again, it was even better. He had a condition at the time where he couldn't sweat. He can now. He can sweat yeah. again now, but that was all just... <laughs> that was bonkers. I, again, that's someone who... I learned something very interesting this this year with, so that book came out about Trump that was written by his niece, you know, and she has a background in psychology and she said something which changed my mind about the world. She said, she said as a psychologist that you can't judge the, the mental health of Donald Trump because Donald Trump since birth has been institutionalized with wealth and privilege. So yeah. the level of wealth that Trump was born into, the level of, like, I, 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 when did I think about this? So I did a podcast this year where I compared Trump's presidency to a, a thing in wrestling known as kayfabe. Yep. Kayfabe is, just for the listeners, kayfabe is, is, it's the contract that we as observers engage in when we enjoy a wrestling match. We yeah. know it's fake. We fucking yeah. know it's fake, but we don't allow that information in because if you do, you can't enjoy it. Yeah. So kayfabe is the little contract that we create whereby we take it seriously in the moment. And a lot of how Trump postures himself is similar to this. And there was a WWE plotline in about 2002 where Vince McMahon, right, the, as he plays himself as a character on TV during an episode of Raw, he gets into a limo and then the limo explodes on TV. And this is the character line for Vince McMahon, the character, but who yeah. is also the CEO of WWE. And when Vince McMahon's limo exploded, Donald Trump rang up WWE, literally in real life, rang up WWE and said, I just saw that Vince got blown up. I hope he's okay. And the thing wow. is, this is real, yeah. Wow, that's mind-blowing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking then, the person who picks up the phone, right? Yeah. Now, if I did that, if I rang up WWE and I said, is Vince McMahon okay? Someone's going to say to me, it's fake, you fucking idiot. It's yeah. fake. He's fine. But when Donald Trump rings up, nobody's going to say that because yeah. it's Donald fucking Trump. He's a billionaire. So the person who rings up, hang, uh, answers the phone is going to say, uh, okay, Mr. Trump. No, he's absolutely fine. I, w- I will pass on your best wishes. Then he puts the phone down and says to his colleagues, you won't believe what this fucking idiot said. Because Trump is institutionalized. Yeah. Everybody around him is too scared. He has too much power. So his niece said, you can't judge Donald Trump's mental health because you, the only way to effectively uh, assess a person's mental health is how they operate within the normal rules of society. So yeah. the normal rules of society don't apply to Donald Trump. He doesn't live in the world that you and I live in. Same with fucking Prince Andrew. That's yeah. how he's able to go. I had a sweating condition. Yeah. This man at no point in his life has had accountability the way that you have I and I have had accountability. 
No one's going to say shit to Prince fucking Andrew. No one's going to say shit to Donald Trump. So they're institutionalized in power. And that's why sometimes their behavior is so bizarre and how you can't pathologize it, you know? It's fascinating. It's, fa- it's something I've been fascinated with for years. I had a song in 2011 called The Struggle, and it's mm-hmm. about Johnny Depp being a serial killer. And it sounds mm-hmm. kind of throwaway and frivolous, or it's got darker as time has gone on with obviously all the dark things that have been going on in his private life. Yeah, yeah. This was at a time when Johnny, Johnny Depp was untouchably loved. Yeah, and the, yeah. the point of that was exactly as you're saying, is it's weird that we try and hold celebrities to the standards of normal people when their lives aren't that. And I've spoken about it since because I think b- better examples, because in that song he gets into killing people. And, mm-hmm. and the reason he gets into killing people is because the things that we do to get that pop of excitement is just his day-to-day life. It loses all, mm-hmm. all, all energy. But the better example, I think, in, in modern times are people like Justin Bieber or, or mm-hmm. Miley Cyrus, who mm-hmm. from when they were very young have been mm-hmm. – impossibly rich and impossibly powerful in their lives. Mm-hmm. So w- w- when they then get to these teenagers or or whatever else and start acting in ways that we see as should be frowned upon, it's like, well, number one, think about how we acted at that age and mm-hmm. we had normal lives. And mm-hmm. With their lives, of course they're going to act up and show out. And I think M- M- Miley Cyrus is an example. I think she seems like a pretty good person. And seems to have speak out on some really good stuff. I'd say the same about Justin Bieber. Yeah. Justin Bieber seems like, like I love, right now, he just seems like a, a kind of a balanced man who really yeah. loves his wife. And I love seeing that. Yeah. You know, even though I shouldn't, like, why do I give a fuck about these celebrities? But <laughs> I just, look, I, I like looking at celebrities and thinking they're doing okay. I, it just makes me feel good. Well, I mean, you brought on some wrestling terms and I'd made a mm-hmm. note of a couple of things that are outside of kind of these are overall things and again we, we're we not going to cover everything but one of the things that's blown my mind this year is the I want to call it attempted f- face turn of Piers Morgan um, and for those who don't know about wrestling there's yeah. there's heels and faces that's the bad guys and the good guys and this year Piers seems to have like Number one, I found myself agreeing with him on things, but in general, mm-hmm. he's he's rallied against that um, that actor prick. I know exactly who you're talking about, Lawrence Fox. He's yeah. rallied against Lawrence Fox. He's rallied against people. He's rallied against the government's lack of support for the NHS. And mm-hmm. previously, Piers has always been this kind of on the side of the right in any arguments, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, he seems to have done this t- switch. And again, I've continued to not acknowledge him. I didn't acknowledge him when he was doing stuff to, to to try and get acknowledgement from the left, all fired up and angry. And I don't think you should acknowledge him now, but... I don't trust... I, I think you making a wrestling analogy that right there is, is perfect. I think that's exactly what Piers Morgan is doing. Yeah. Here's the thing. I, I know what you're talking about. I've, I have seen Piers Morgan say things and do things which have surprised me because mm. I'm like ah, I thought you were more in line with Katie Hopkins yeah. and yet here you are appearing to be compassionate or reasonable. And when I find myself going, maybe he's not that bad, I just remind myself of the, the tape and the conversations and shit. Yeah. All that stuff. When I, yeah. I can't remember the newspaper, but that was big the, scandal. It's gone now, isn't it? It was the news of the world. The news of the world. And I remember his role in that and the decisions that he had to make as a human being to go... 
yeah, let's listen into the phone conversations of victims. Let's do that. So yeah. that's a pretty big leap. That's pretty. I could never morally do something like that, but he could. So when I see him change in face, I don't see it as genuine. I see yeah, it completely. as he's playing the game and he understands the rules of the game. And this is a nasty game and he's involved. And the other thing, too, is that when he does express opinions that we agree with, they're not particularly fantastic, mind-blowing opinions. It's just the bar for him that he has set for himself is so low. <laughs> yes, yeah. That as soon as he does anything else, we we go, oh, he's not that bad. So I have to take myself back. I keep. It's the same with fucking, like even someone like Obama. Like I I love listening to Barack Obama speak. Barack yeah. Obama is a wonderful orator. He often says things that I agree with frequently, but then I go. Man, he used to love bombing weddings in Yemen quite a bit. It's an interesting one, man, because I had a sponsor on the podcast and it was his new book and it's all about hope and positivity. And I had a lot of back and forth about if I wanted to have them sponsor because I have that same thing. I think Obama has done loads of – he did loads of awful things in office. I would also argue that Mm -hmm. that's a job you can't have without – being responsible for a load of horrible things. No, I think there you go. I think it's the myth that Spot on. there's this position that's in charge of everyone. Like, you're president, oh, you've got all the power. Trump has kind of proved that because he's done a lot of damage, but he's wanted mm-hmm. to do a lot more. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of proved that this isn't the powerful position it's made out to be. It's a pawn with a lot of other things mm-hmm. behind it. But the thing that, that made me go with it was just going off that kind of, well, the things that stick out to me in hindsight, is the way he conducted himself and is the is the hope he gave people. So it was that yeah. kind of, the book is about hope. It isn't actually about his time in office. It's about his journey and the positivity and all that. And again, it's that, that thing I was saying earlier about dr- dramas versus documentaries. It kind of, it feels like this book is the drama. It's 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 telling the positive story and, and, and there is a lot of positive. So yeah, I kind of felt comfortable in the end on that. But I am the nerd. I probably shouldn't talk about it on the podcast because no, that's, you're probably, right. I that's mean, probably a negative thing to mention that someone who sponsored me that I'm, I was unsure. But yeah. A general outlook that I always take when it comes to power is genuinely good people tend not to become more powerful than something like mayor. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Once you start going yeah. beyond mayor, then yeah. you're at a level of power whereby you have to make some decisions that hurt people, whether that's yeah. like laying off a factory full of people or something like that. So even someone like Barney Sanders, who I love, yeah. Barney would have had to drone people because that's what he inherits as president of America, you yeah. know? And and it's always something that, that kind of I struggle with. And then, fuck it, I had a point now and I forgot what I was going to make. What's the next What's the next question? And if I remember, I'll come back to it. Well, uh, just before, we, because again, the rest of the year is largely going to be American election and Corona go. I remember it. I remember it now. Yeah. So Joe Biden, right? Yes. It, fe- it We all feel good that Trump isn't getting another four fucking years. We all feel great, right? Yeah. But the thing with Biden is that, y- yes, I feel great, but I know that the problem with America is the structure of it. Yeah. It has all this power and it's an empire. And if you live in countries like Yemen, then... America is the enemy. If you live in Afghanistan, America's doing bad shit there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And this is the structure of America. It's it's the system of capitalist power and that's what the problem is. So even though I know Biden coming in 
it's not going to mean a huge amount of change geopolitically. All it does is that for those of us in the privileged West, sometimes what we want and what Obama was good for, no matter how crazy events were in the world, when Obama would speak, that little part in ourselves goes back to childhood and it was like, it's okay, the adults are talking. So when Obama responded to something, that fear, the childish fear in me was satiated because I got to see the person in power sounds like a parent and they sound like they have things under control. So even though I know things aren't under control, at least I can get on with my day. With Trump, I didn't have that. The parents were not home. Your older teenage neighbour was in charge and you don't know what he's going to do. You know what I mean? So with Biden... For those of us who are privileged in the West, it just means we get a daddy, we get a mammy now. And <laughs> and whatever happens in the world, it's still going to be just as chaotic. But Biden will probably be able to string some sentences together and look professional and presidential. And then we can go back to eating our dinner without taking excess stress, even though we know nothing changes. Again, it's the kayfabe. It's yeah. kayfabe. So instead of having a heel in power, we've now got a face. Yeah. You know, we've got Brett the Hitman Hart. It's perfect. Yeah. You've been listening to Scroobius Pips Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was part one of the 2020 roundup with Blind Boy. And you might have had your minds blown that we've just talked for an hour about 2020 and we've barely talked about COVID. We've barely really talked about the election. So yeah, there's a lot more good stuff to come basically. And in part two, Blind Boy gives a response to a question and it's one of the best responses I've ever, I've ever had. Um, it's fantastic. You're going to love it. Honestly, it's amazing. It, he tells a hell of a story and it's appropriate and wonderful. And yeah, but you'll get that next week. So enjoy your Christmas. Have a bloody lovely Christmas. It's been a weird year and it's going to be a weird, a weird Christmas. So try not to hang on too much onto what is m- missing, what or whom is missing, I guess, and focus on what is there and what you're enjoying rather than comparing to a normal Christmas you know normal isn't always better you know it's nice to have a change every now and then so enjoy the differences of this year wherever you can and I'll see you next week ta-ta